ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Is it okay to be drug and alcohol tested at work? And if so, under what circumstances? What sort of jobs? What about a pilot or a surgeon or a truck driver? What if you're an office worker, a scientist or a school teacher? The CSIRO is considering random drug testing for staff, visitors and contractors. And drug testing would include everything from amphetamines, heroin, morphine, codeine and cannabinoids like marijuana. It would also extend to performance and image enhancing drugs like steroids. Refusal to take the test would constitute an automatic positive test result. So is this a breach of civil liberties? Or is it a good idea? Good morning. I'm Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Nick Healy, joining you from ABC Shepparton. Nick, I get the feeling you have a lot of strong feelings (laughs) on this topic today. Is there, do you think, a time and a place for drug testing, random drug testing at work? I do believe there is a time and a place for drug testing at work. I don't know what random drug testing necessarily does. And I think we need to have some pretty strict guidelines about what we are looking for. More importantly, why this is so important. But yes, there is absolutely, as there is for drug and alcohol testing in the real world, outside of the workplace, in our lives, when we're driving, there is absolutely a place for it. I'm very curious to know why visitors need to be tested at the uh, CSIRO, but we're going to get through all of this today. We are. When you think about the safety of workers, there's some obvious ones. So the mining sector, operating heavy machinery, pilots, truck drivers, you name it. And there are already laws and rules and regulations around drug use and drug testing in some of those sectors. Where it gets interesting is something like the CSIRO, where maybe you're talking about researchers, where you're talking about office workers, you're talking about contractors, and as you said, visitors (laughs) as well. They claim, and we'll go through a lot of this Mm -hmm. today, that again, it's for the safety of the workers. So let's say hypothetically you get a positive drug test at work. What's the next step? You know, what is the duty of care of that workplace to then ensure that you get the help, the wraparound services that you need? Or is it an automatic expulsion? This is the question. Is drug use a personal failing or is it a public health issue? Do we support the people who are experiencing drug dependency issues? Uh, Do we remove them from society? Who's helping? How is it helping? You know, you you mentioned, say, maybe there's an issue with research and people being safe. Um, Well, is that the same for people who work in Parliament? Should we be drug testing people before they sit in a parliamentary commission, before they vote on laws? Uh, Should lawyers have to be drug tested before, you know, the fate of someone is in their hands in a courtroom? I I don't see a lot of arguments for that. What if you carry a gun for work, either as a Victorian police officer, as a security guard? Now, this is interesting because I have done a a quick hunt around trying to find what the rules are for Victorian police and I haven't been able to get a clear answer on what drug testing rules are in place or drug and alcohol testing, we should say, uh, for Victorian police. I know in New South Wales, they they can be open to random drug testing. Um, Certainly after incidents, they tend to be automatically tested for drug and alcohol. Uh, Is that right for police and should it be only for people who are out on duty? I just, there are so many things to ask here. And then there's the bigger conversation, which we'll also try and touch on today, (laughs) around the stereotype of a drug user and maybe what people think a drug user looks like and how they operate. Because we know that many people will hide their drug use sometimes for decades and no one will know, not even those who are closest with them. So a lot to try and get through today. (laughs) What do you think? How would you react in your job if you were told you were going to be randomly tested for drugs and alcohol? Is it appropriate in some jobs to have that test? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour.
Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy is your co-host today, joining you from ABC Shepparton. We're looking at drug testing in the workplace. Where and when is it appropriate? And what would you do if you tested positive? What's the next step if someone tests pos- positive? Lots of texts already coming in on this, Nick. My daughter is a ski instructor and there are regular random drug and alcohol tests. And another says, I worked in a bank. We were doing this in the 1990s. It's not new. But then Mick says... These tests are not accurate. Surely the CSIRO would know this. There are big questions about whether it's accurate or not. Uh, a lot of research has been quick to point out that just because you have tested positive for drug and alcohol, even if that test is accurate, that does not automatically mean you are experiencing problems with your job. It doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be causing incidents. Another says anyone working uh, airside at Melbourne Airport can be subject to a random drug test as well. So, I mean, there's lots of different industries where it's already done. I guess what I'm curious about is if that test is positive, what is then the next step in the duty of care of that workplace to help you? And who is it keeping safe and how is it keeping you safe? Leanne's in Gisborne. Hi, Leanne. Hi, how are you going? What do you reckon? I reckon that definitely I wouldn't mind if anyone randomly drug tested me, um, as long as it keeps me and other people safe. And I think as far as Victoria Police go, that they should definitely be tested. Leanne, what job do you do, if you don't mind me asking? I'm actually a gardener. So you wouldn't mind being drug and alcohol tested as a gardener? Yeah, no, not at all. Why would I? Good on you, Leanne. Good to hear from you. Crane operators, says another text. And then it says some of the drugs that you mentioned are not necessarily illegal if prescribed. If you have a prescription, are you excluded? And how would that work? That's from Bree. Bree, we had many of the same questions, didn't we? I'm really interested in that. Yeah, codeine, even cannabinoids, um, steroids can be prescribed as well. Uh, it raises the question that if, if you've got a prescription... And, and that lets you off the hook, why wouldn't someone who's had those same drugs but no prescription, what's the difference between you and them? Just because you're allowed to, if we're talking about worker safety, aren't they having the same impact on you? I don't know. Phil's, Phil's in, in Wodonga. All together now. Hi, Phil. Hey, young guys. Love, love this time today and this show. Um, yeah, doing an awesome job. Um Look, I just want the weigh in here on the on the drug test, and it definitely should be happening um, all, all the time. Um, I'm a heavy earth moving uh, machinery operator on those and, and so forth. Um, I also have been in the transport industry, and 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 um, look, we're doing drug tests should be happening. The only thing in that I find is that they they single the worker out, and the people in the office themselves should be drug tested, you know, as well. It shouldn't be just. Uh, randomly, oh, I'm going to pick these guys or these women. We're going to drug test you guys because you work for us. But the people in the office, the owner himself, drug tests them. And I mean, I've worked for owners who have, who have oh. been on drugs and still on drugs today. But yet they will not drug test themselves, but they drug test their workers. So, so if you want to set a good example and put it out there, drug test yourselves too. You can't just go around mm. randomly going, oh, I'm going to drug test you because I know that you're not on it, but this guy over here is on it. And they'll send people home. I've seen it happen too many times. Right. You know? So across the board, you want to see that drug testing. But Phil, have you have you worked in places where it's the policy to get drug tested? Has this been happening oh, to you a lot in your work? Yeah, yeah where, where I am right now, I, I work in, a, in a, an environment where I'm drug tested um, uh, you know, randomly. I'll just go, yeah, we're drug testing. Um, I've come from other industries, and not the mining industries either. I mean, I'm in quarries and that, but earthworks and that, where I've worked in those industries, and I've seen people being singled out because they know very well they're not, they're not, they're going to pass, and these people will get told, uh, "We'll get you on the next one or go home," because they know for a fact they they're going to be go over um, or, or come positive. But look, it's not just the worker though. The people who who, who work in the office itself doesn't doesn't exclude them from taking drugs. Or so being if it's a, or one, being it's all. So Phil, if yeah. you you said people would, if they tested positive, they were sent home. Then what happens? Do they come back the next day? Because what um, I'm curious about yeah, is if someone gets well, tested positive, do they then mm, get help if they need it? If it's something that well, they have an addiction? Yeah. Now, that, that, that's a great question because I've seen it in, in a case where they've been, been caught out and they go, righty go home, 
and we're going to retest you again in a few days' time. And, and look, it's good because those people need that employment, but it's given them a bit of a wake-up, and some of them do wake up, come back, get retested, and they get on the straight and narrow. Um, others are like, this is my life, I can do what I want to do on a weekend. Well, that's fine. Do what you want in your own time, but remember that what you do, your behaviour, can affect other people at work, be it alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, that, you know, just be, you know... They, just don't do it in the first place. It's as simple as that. Feel <laughs> really good to hear from you and to get those insights. See, that's interesting, Nick. So if you test positive, you just get sent home. It's like being naughty at school. Right? What's next? You know, why yeah. is there not a next stage on that? Phil also mentioned, of course, the transport industry. I would just say that there are already strong rules about drug and alcohol when you're on the road. I mean, that the, the, we know those. Is it adding anything to then have drug and alcohol testing in the workplace when you can already be pulled up for drug and alcohol testing when you're behind the wheel? And then there's all other sorts of drugs like weight loss drugs. We've got ADHD drugs. We've got a huge rise in different types of cannabinoids oil as well and cannabis for medicinal reasons so as you start to pull this apart you can see how it gets really complicated does it help people does it protect people or is it just a breach of your privacy this is the conversation hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunty with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you today from ABC Shepparton. We're talking about drug and alcohol testing at work. The CSIRO, which has about 5,000 workers, Nick, is considering this. So uh, I wonder how workers feel about this and how random these drug tests are going to be. Susan Tonks is the CSIRO Section Secretary and Secretary of the CSIRO's Staff Association, so sees the union representative there. Susan, lots of texts coming in saying there's no way the union will allow this. How has the proposed drug and alcohol testing been taken by and received by workers? Yeah, good morning, Rochelle. Yes, uh, look, it's we've had a, there's been a huge response on this. Um, the problem with it is that you know it's it's come as, as a, an already drafted policy that doesn't appear fit for fit for purpose for the organisation. There are already current um, code of conduct processes in place already that provide a mechanism to deal with such matters if they did occur, and. Um, this, you know, we've we've had an enormous response from staff saying, you know, that it's not fit for purpose from everything around. There's great concerns around the random and four cause testing, and also around privacy. Um, the staff association does take um, safety of all CSIRO staff very seriously, as they do, but um, it's what is being proposed um, is not proportionate to the risk that's coming up. So um, that hasn't been identified. Susan, is that how it's being, uh, I guess, pitched or justified to staff that this is about risk, it's about safety? Is that kind of the, yes. the message from management? Yeah, yeah, that, that certainly is is the approach, that it's it, it's a requirement for health and safely, safety. Um, but I, I think the issue is that that's being raised with us by staff and across the board is that randomly testing employers for drugs and alcohol in the absence of any real evidence that they propose that they're there is a risk to work health and safety is disproportionate. In terms of incidents, in terms of safety, I mean, has there been a, a large amount of workplace issues at the CSIRO that someone could point to drug and alcohol being an issue or a potential issue in? That has not been made evident to us at all. Um, staff certainly have not reported that to us either. Um, and that is, one of the, that is one of the key things that we've raised is that if has there been a risk assessment... Um, done um, that shows a proportionate risk that this that the measures that they want to introduce under this policy you know that's why they're doing it and that hasn't been that that's not evident at this stage refusal to be tested is an automatic positive how did you react to that particular area of the test well as you mentioned earlier you know there's so many um there's different drugs, there's cannabinoids, there's PRN medication, there's ADHD drugs, there's all sorts of things now that can provide you with, would easily provide you with a positive result. And the problem is with that as well is that disclosure of medications is also a proxy disclosure of medical conditions. Um, there's no obligation for you to disclose a medical condition in this context 
So, I mean, that creates a whole other, you know, a range of issues for workers. Nick in Edith Vale sent this text. It says, if your job at the CSIRO involves contact with chemicals and biohazards, then you should be drug and alcohol free. These workers should be tested. There's too much potential for injury to others and there's the organisation's reputation. Do you agree with Nick? Look, I think as there is a time and a place um, and there are many health and safety, you know, they're very there's so many health and safety um, policies and legislation and regulations in place that protect all of those sections of research. Susan, my my understanding is that there would be employees of the CSIRO in areas like the ACT where a certain amount of uh, cannabis use has been decriminalised, where people could legally actually use this drug. Has there been any comment from the CSIRO about how a positive test might be impacted for them? Uh, no, like jurisdictional, obviously, you know, there's different laws and regulations between states and territories. Um, and that's certainly one of the things on the list um, that needs to be resolved as well. 5,000 workers roughly in total at the CSIRO. A lot of today's conversation will look at the image or the stereotype that we may have as a society of someone who uses drugs and how commonplace drug use is, in particular things like prescription painkillers. And we know the highest rate of overdose isn't from something like heroin or cocaine or amphetamines, Mm -hmm. it's from prescription painkillers. There may be a shock in some workplaces at the sheer number of people that will test positive. And as a result, have they thought about wraparound services or what then happens? What's the next step if people test well, positive? Well, the initial step is that you leave the workplace. It's not clear then what happens to you um, as far as a contact matter because it is essentially managed, it would be managed as a conduct issue. Um, we have proposed a draft policy for um for consideration um, that has a health focus and, um, you know, protects people's privacy and confidentiality if something is identified um, as as a problem. I guess, you know, the real, the key thing that's come back to us is that randomised and four-cause testing and not a health focus, um, that that's what needs to be that's what needs to be included and then you know that can be then supported by the existing conduct and um, health and safety um, policies that are already in place. Susan just one quick question how far is the union willing to go on this if you can't reach an agreement with the CSRO management about this testing? Well look we are willing and trying to work um, with management to come up with um, a better solution on this um, I have sent them everything, all the feedback that we have received, um, and there is a huge amount of it um, uh, from from staff and, and members as well. Um, so, look, I, we're willing to sit down. We have actually said, um, I have requested that we be representative on any work group as it goes forward to, to further develop any policy on the basis that it does have a health focus and that it's proportionate to any risk that, um, that presents itself. So, yeah, we're we're hoping to do that with them fairly soon, but it has been quite a while now. No, Susan, thanks for your time on that one. I appreciate it. Susan's the uh, Section Secretary with the CPSU at the CSIRO, a Secretary of the CSIRO Staff Association. Well, we did invite the CSIRO to be a part of today's program. There was no one available, but they sent us a statement which is attributed to a CSIRO spokesperson and it says that the CSIRO is committed to providing safe and healthy working environments for our employees and other people in our workplaces. And this includes through practices that eliminate or reduce risk in our workplaces arising from the use of alcohol or other drugs. To facilitate this commitment, the CSIRO is developing an alcohol and other drugs procedure in consultation with staff and their representatives. It doesn't go into who that might actually be, and that includes their staff association. And over the coming months, they will conduct further research and seek advice from relevant subject matter experts and engage with staff to try and figure out the process and development of this procedure. Staff will remain informed and involved throughout this process. Let's go to Colin, who's in Eltham. Good morning, Colin. Hello. Um, the chat that was on the call earlier about, you know, uh, only the workers get picked and people in head office. I'm, a, I'm in IT. I'm a software developer. I was working for a software company, and one of our clients was a mining company. I was just sent into for a week's work in head office in Melbourne, 
And I was sitting there working away, tapping on the computer, and two young ladies from HR came up. They explained it was a, a drug alcohol test. And I said, oh, but I don't work here. I'm only here for a week. And they said, no, no, everybody on site has to do it. They do it in the mine site out bush, and we have to do it in that office. So they had like a bag with coloured balls in it. They shook the bag up. You took a ball out. Uh, I picked a red one. I just blew in the bag like you would do at a roadside testing with the police. And it was no big deal. Um, so there are mining companies that actually enforce the same rules on site as they do as their mine sites. That's the first time I've ever done it at work, but yeah. Colin, I'm really intrigued that there'd be no, I guess, uh, advance warning that this could even happen to you while you're on this kind of uh, consulting work. That seems surprising to me. Uh, well, you get the normal, you know, there's the tea room, there's the toilet <laughs> and the, you know, and coffee shops over there. You know, you get that, there's your desk. But, yeah, it's just one of those, you know, get to work. You know, we're paying you by the hour. So, yeah, I don't know. It didn't bother me. So, yeah. Not part of the induction. I've been on a No, well, there's lots of, yeah. And I guess it depends on how you're informed as well. (laughs) There's a text here that says drug testing was a part of the job application process for a teaching position that I went for. You were informed in advance. The question really is indicative, if not a random test. I suppose it's not your fault um, if that's something that you need to consider as well, whether or not it can actually be random. So many different occupations here, though. Loving some of the occupation suggestions from artisanal bakers and ceramicists to radio presenters as well should all be up for drug testing. There are a couple of texts here which I thought was interesting. Uh, James has got in touch saying, look, I agree that this is a little bit about picking on lower paid workers. James saying, you know, we don't see cocaine testing and roadside drug testing. We don't see highly paid people getting cocaine tested on the way into their jobs, which I thought was interesting. And an anonymous text saying it's too easily used as a form of social control. Funny how we see so much of a conservative push to drug testing of vulnerable people and lower paid workers. Anonymous has sent a text saying, I work in rail, drug testing when I was offered a job and you had to be randomly tested in the office. I'm in the office job, but we all know it's part of the job and we know we need to declare any drugs that we take. If you're positive, it's a three-year exclusion from all rail jobs. In more recent years, they've started offering support to the person. And another, which is interesting, isn't it, that there's been a little bit of, I guess, social change there when it comes to, okay, you tested positive, come back tomorrow once you've straightened up, as opposed to now, how can we help you? Do you need help? Another text that says, I know of a person who lost his job for drug use. He was originally stood down, offered, and I think he accepted counselling. I believe he failed at least another subsequent drug test and eventually he lost his job. So what are the laws around it, depending on where you work? How random is a random drug test as well? Lee Howard is a barrister in industrial relations. Lee, I mean, everything from rail, air flight controllers, teachers, you name it, the mining sector, a lot of people are randomly being tested for drugs. Is it a a breach of privacy? Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, You're right. Uh, a variety of industries uh, uh, do practice uh, this type of thing, um, transport, mining, construction, police, um, public servants that have um, national security responsibilities, um, a range of industries. It's really an industry-industry proposition about the legality of um, drug testing. Um, there's probably two issues involved. One is the extent to which an employer can require Um, a sober employee and then the the second probably more topical issue is whether the employer can can then test the employee and and it's that second proposition that involves questions of um, uh, occupation and safety law discrimination law uh, and um, proportionality I suppose but it's a really industry industry proposition Lee, have we seen any major challenges to it within these industries? Have we seen employees kind of go to the mattresses on this one? We have in the past. um, Throughout the 90s and 2000s, there were challenges, particularly in construction and mining sectors. And to the best of my memory, um, it got to a point at one stage, I think in the late 2000s, where it it got to a unified position where both... um, 
uh, union and employer were um, in favour of um, these policies due to the risks, the safety risks that are involved. Is there a role then for this being part of uh, an EBA? You know, is this something that workers should have a hand in deciding the policies of rather than having it put upon them? That's how it's usually um, done. So to break break it down, uh, there is a consultation obligation when you are introducing a, a safety policy like this uh, and that consultation is found in the safety legislation and what the employer will do is consult with um, uh, the um, the employees and, and, and usually the union as well through through that process and strike a, um, a policy uh, with the benefit of that consultation and that input. Is there a duty of care for the workplace? Because we are seeing a shift just socially in how we recognise drug use, how we support people uh, that may feel like they have uh, an addiction and also to how we stereotype people who use drugs. That is changing. So if someone tests positive... Is there a duty of care for that workplace to not just send that person home but to give them maybe the help that they may need? I wouldn't characterise it as a duty of care thing. I'd I'd rather characterise it as um, acting reasonably and proportionately to the issue at hand. So um, if you do fail a drug test uh, in a hypothetical environment that contains um, very dangerous equipment, etc., uh, it wouldn't be disproportionate to send that employee home in the first instance just to remove the risk, but working with the employee to rectify the situation and, and assist them um, is something that uh, most employees in this type of situation would work to, would 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 um, work towards. Uh, it um, that's sort of the type of thing that you might see spelt out in one of these policies. So. In a policy, it might say, well, what are the consequences if you fail a drug test and, and so on and so forth. And it's really the development of these policies that map out um, what should be done in that circumstance. Uh, Lee, a few people on text line pointing out that, you know, many of these drug tests, it's not that you get a positive result, you just get a not negative result. Have we ever seen any pushback regarding the actual veracity of these tests and how accurate they are? Yeah, we have. Uh, so um, there are cases out there that... Um, uh, again, in that time period, that challenged uh, particular um, testing on its invasiveness. So um, there was saliva testing versus urine testing and things like that. And um, the Fair Work Commission, in particular, um, mapped out um, for that particular industry and that particular employer what was um, a proportionate um, uh, method of testing. Um, I haven't seen, to the best of my memory, a case mm. where. Uh, the the employer has challenged the veracity of that testing. It's more been around, well, if we're going to do this, what is the um, uh, the appropriate manner of testing? Do lawyers and barristers get tested? No, we don't. Um, so we, I think, uh, well, there's no hard and fast law in relation to lawyers, but I think the obligation to test to, to, to stay sober. Um, whilst you're giving legal advice, is, is is probably implied by a lawyer's obligation to render their services with due care and skill, and um, it would be a, a short and pretty persuasive argument to say if you're inebriated um, while giving legal advice that you're in breach of that 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 duty of due care and skill. Yes. Lee, thanks so much for your time and your insights. Lee Howard is a barrister in industrial relations. This text, Nick, it says Ambulance Victoria brought this in a few years ago. Initially, it was very punitive under union pressure. It's now evolved to having more of a health focus. Health focus is an important side of this. I think I just want to say I really appreciated Pip getting in touch. Pip saying she's a nurse in alcohol and drug sector. Stigma and discrimination can hit very hard. Pip just saying we need to be using inclusive and kind language, pointing out that things like getting clean, addict, not traditionally used a lot in this space, and even saying that not everyone who's using drug and alcohol is necessarily needing help.
Lots of people are saying that, saying I recreationally use marijuana on the weekend and have done so for 30 years. I do a better job than a lot of my colleagues. I'm sort of paraphrasing a multitude of texts that came in along those lines. This it says Risha Nicker once shared a house with a flight controller in Sydney airport who routinely took cocaine and that was in the early 90s. And lots of people talking about ADHD and the drug that they take if you are if you choose to use medication to try and help you with ADHD, which would probably give you a positive test result, I would say. So what happens then? And that's the other thing of disclosing medical conditions. Maybe nobody at work knows that you have ADHD because you know of all of the stigma and the, maybe the lack of job promotions and all that stuff that comes along with stigma if you declared your ADHD. I would say that right now we also need to acknowledge that societally we are changing a lot of our attitudes around certain drugs that we use. You know, decriminalisation, uh, even legalisation of things like cannabis becoming more prominent. You're certainly seeing it in a very broad sway overseas. It's coming to Australia as well. We are, you know, the same way as we once had prohibition in alcohol, we're seeing changing mindsets. Are these drug and alcohol policies going to keep up with that? Jim's in the Western District of Victoria. Morning, Jim. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, good conversation. I've been involved in uh, construction for the last 20-plus years, and all the major sites, the refineries, mines, all those sort of jobs, we don't get on site without um, being um, open to drug and uh, alcohol testing. And the people in the office, everyone, from the guy that sweeps the floor to the guy that's driving the train, they all get tested. And, and Jim, what happens when there's a positive test or, you know, when someone uh, fails that test, it maybe is a better way of putting it? Well, most, depending on the, um, the, the um, job, but most companies have policies where the support services, and they'll obviously stand them down and, um, and then they, the HR puts in whatever policies behind it. But look, from a personal perspective, I know, I know if I'm working at heights or... In, uh, and my life's in someone else's hands. I, I'm pretty happy that they've been mm. drug tested. And, um, and what about and on small-scale building sites, Jim? I mean, do you work... I mean, I could imagine there would probably be a, a lot of randomised drug testing in, in large-scale construction, but what about your, your small suburban builder where the risks are still just as great? Yeah, well, that's, that's um, a different... Um, that's a different thing, and it's not, um, it's not covered by the same sort of... Um, laws I think although I've never been on small sites but all big mines big refineries things like that and I think it's a good idea good to hear from you thanks so much Jim this is the conversation hour on ABC radio Melbourne and Victoria Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy, your co-host today, joining you from ABC Shepparton. How would you react if randomised drug and alcohol testing was brought into your workplace? Is it appropriate to have it in some jobs in some areas? This text, Nick, it says, I'm currently taking a prescribed opioid replacement therapy drug after a GP overprescribed a painkiller for me, post-operative pain. I only ever took this medication as prescribed and never abused it. Now I've wound up with this other replacement med through no fault of my own. I've never touched heroin. My problem with any other proposed workplace drug testing is that I'm already suffering unfair stigma without another one at work. On the flip side, this text, I'm in traffic management. My employer has a zero drug and alcohol policy. I'm all for it. I rely on my colleagues as well as the public to remain safe. Who wants an affected colleague in charge of equipment that can kill? Bring on the testing. And they whole idea of do you have a stereotyped image of who is using Mm. drugs and whether or not someone needs to be tested for drugs and how that person can or cannot function and whether or not they are safe to be in that workplace. Chris Fleming has openly spoken about his addiction to drugs for 20 years and has written about his experience in his memoir on drugs. Chris, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. How do you feel if, as a teacher, and you were a teacher for a very long time, when you even won an award for teaching, you hid mm. that addiction for decades. What would have happened, do you think, if you were randomly tested for drugs whilst you were teaching? 
Thanks for asking me on. Well, it would have depended on the other side of that testing, on what lie, uh, what lay on the other side of that, whether it's used as a kind of uh, policing or, you know, one of my concerns is that testing is at best only one strategy or maybe only one part of a strategy of addressing drug use. If the testing merely operates as a form of policing or surveillance, then it's hard to see it as anything particularly useful. And of course it depends on the drug and it depends on the profession. Um, but if it, if it is just the case that you are testing people and it is simply functioning as a, as a form of policing or surveillance, then yeah, it's, I don't think it's going to be a particularly useful uh, thing to do. Now, again, <laughs> drugs is a, uh, is a pretty blunt category. Mm. Um, and so it's going to depend on the drug and it's going to depend on the profession and, and, and so on. So the idea of occupational health and safety and drugs and combining those two, the problem is that, that there's a level of generality in those kind of categories that I think needs to be... <laughs> a little more nuanced in the way that we discuss these things and I'm happy to go into it but that that would be my first concern that that what happens after that testing it's I think that's an essential question to ask well, Chris, what sort of nuance do you want to see brought into that? I mean, you know, I guess if we're talking about workplace policies and we are at the moment rather than sort of societal laws or norms, is there not a limit to how nuanced a workplace policy can be? Oh, well, of course, there are pragmatic constraints on what you can implement in the law, but it, it depends on the outcome that you you want. Obviously, you know, we're in, where drug labels contain warnings advising users not to drive or, you know, operate heavy machinery. So it's, it seems to be to be prudent that bomb diffusers and cardiovascular surgeons shouldn't be drunk while they're carrying out their duties. But the question of whether capacities are harmed simply can't be answered in the abstract. If someone can't do their job or doing it, is doing it badly it seems to be a strange first step to suspect drug use and if someone's doing an excellent job then drug testing seems useless right so the the problem is is that our attitudes to drugs pull in completely different directions Mm. on the one hand that we have you know the first concerns the ways in which drugs impair performance slow reaction times blunt judgment and, and a hazardous in that way and in the other case, we've seen where drugs are seen as, in fact, offer an unfair advantage to users, as is the case with steroids, beta blockers, human growth hormone. And the fact that our justifications for testing are at odds with each other, on the one hand, they erode our performance, they make us worse, on the other hand, they unfairly enhance performance, tells us that what's actually at stake a lot of time is something other than either of those things, that, that drugs and alcohol seen as unnatural, immoral, or, or in fact, mm. criminal. The attitude to drugs and what happens after... I mean, you have spoken openly saying that you spent over a decade of your waking life acquiring and using drugs and the other half mm. of your life trying to hide that fact and that addiction mm. thrives on secrecy. Mm. Many people have spoken about, not to the extent that you have in your book, Chris, but have spoken about maybe uh, pain and managing pain or maybe mm. using recreationally using marijuana on the weekend, but nobody knows. Or if you have a mm. medical condition and you take drugs to help manage that, like ADHD, but nobody knows. Mm. When that secrecy is revealed, what does that do? Well, it depends. It depends when the secrecy is thriving because someone is ashamed and they're an addict. And I think in that case, then that 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 shame and secrecy needs to be confronted through some process of rehabilitation or recovery. But if it's simply social stigma, then there are cases where we need to address that uh, uh, stigma. One of the things is that I'd never want to say that drugs are harmless. And the the, the issue with me um, was that addiction slowly destroyed my family and personal life and also almost killed me but looking at my professional life or at least the cv it it doesn't really even register a blip um so not everybody reacts to drugs and addiction in that way and not everybody including every research scientist think of the csiro academic who takes drugs is an addict i mean that stuff's almost too obvious to say for anyone who lives in the world 
it, by the, it, it's, it's well known, for instance, that one half of the famous duo which discovered the double helix structure of DNA, Francis Crick, did so while under the influence of LSD. Richard Feynman, Stephen Jay Gould, Carl Sagan were all pot smokers and so on. Now, you know, they, they would all be, you know, test positive at the CSIRO if they, if, they were, if they were working there. Now, that's not to say that drugs are good, they're useful, that they even help them. But we have to look at this in, a, in quite a complex picture. But as far as the way developing policy is concerned, I may not be, yeah. <laughs> I may not be the best person... It's interesting to get your perspective, though, Chris. Thank you. Chris Fleming, whose memoir he's written about his years, his decades addicted to drugs, it's called On Drugs. Chris, thank you to look at that attitude towards drugs. And what I loved about that, Nick, is, and this is what you and I said right at the very beginning, it's one thing to test, but what's the next step? What happens after that? That needs to be part of a a drug workplace policy or a drug testing policy in a workplace as well. Two texts going back to something I mentioned at the start. Someone saying, I wouldn't have a problem with drug testing as long as politicians get the same treatment. And Ralph saying as well, we need to talk parliamentarians. Why isn't alcohol and drug testing a default for them? Ralph even suggesting that if you go back far enough, you can see some very obvious drunken incidents involving politicians over the years. This does seem to be a little bit, if it's source for the goose, why is it not source for the gander? Another saying, you can take drugs or alcohol if you're working behind a desk. No one's life or yours will be in danger. But if you work with me on electrical distribution network, one mistake and one of us isn't going home. Jake's called through. G'day, Jake, you're out on the road. What do you think? Should you be tested randomly for drugs and alcohol at work? Um, so my biggest concern is whether or do you get tested or not. It's um, more to do with the accuracy of it. Um, like I was saying uh, to the producer, I got tested a few years ago back when I used to uh, smoke marijuana recreationally. Um, so I got tr- drug tested. Obviously, that come up positive. Um, so I got the opportunity to get off the uh, marijuana, um, provide a negative drug test from a doctor, and I was to be able to give my job straight back. Um, so with that, I, I quit smoking weed instantly, um, and every day for the next for the next month, I went out and um, bought a urine test from the chemist, and every single one of those come back positive for the whole next month, even though I hadn't touched it or whatever. But because it stores in your fat mm. cells and all that sort of thing, so it it needs to be whether it's you're actually being affected by it or it's there's just traces of it in your system, you know what I mean? Yeah. Jake, good to hear from you. Two points there, Nick. One, the accuracy, which has been coming up a lot in tests, but also when Phil from Wodonga rang earlier, he believed that he had seen young men like Jake get a positive test and it kind of scared them and scared them onto the straight and narrow, which is what Jake said. You know, it helped him stay clean then for a week, so it could help. It could, but Jake also pointing out that he's testing positive when there is no impairment. So if we go back to the idea that, you know, drug and alcohol testing is about workplace safety, if people aren't being impaired by what they're using, is it then actually anything to do with safety at all? Nicole Lee is an adjunct professor at the National Drug and Research Institute at Curtin University and the director of 360 Edge. Nicole, Chris before spoke about our attitude to drugs and what's the next step if you test positive. As someone, as a drug and alcohol researcher, can this be helpful or harmful to test at work? Well, morning, Rochelle and Nick. Um, so it, it depends what the, the purpose of the testing is. Just as you were saying, um, Nick, if there was um, no Im- impairment, is it anybody's business what people do in their own time? Um, but if it's, if it's a matter of um, immediate safety, allowing people onto a dangerous work site, for example, operating heavy machinery or um, major vehicles, then there's some argument for it. Um, it's except that most workplaces don't have those kind of um, safety sensitivities that require that level of testing, and um, it, it needs more than testing. This is the number one um, mistake that we see organisations make: is just relying on drug testing. Um, in their drug policy and it needs to be much broader than that to take into account um, impairment and also impairment from a whole range of other things like not having enough sleep and um, mental health issues and a range of other things as well. So so it's a complicated answer to um, mm-hmm. that question, but it depends on the circumstance. 
yeah. Nicole, have we seen any research showing that drug and alcohol testing does change workplace incidents or, or does remove drug use from the workplace? So in those safety-sensitive industries, mining, manufacturing, um, those kinds of industries, um, it does it does tend to reduce um, incidents on the workplace, and it and this is how it works. You go to a you go to a site. You're about to drive a heavy vehicle. You get um, tested, and if you test negative, then your employer can be fairly certain that you don't you're not impaired by drugs because you've tested negative, and so they let you onto the onto the work site. Um, and anybody who tests positive, um, whether or not they're impaired, um, don't doesn't get let onto the work site. And therefore, by just doing that, we're only allowing people we're absolutely certain are fairly safe. Um, Nicole, the work site. so it does reduce um, incidents in that way. You mentioned sleep deprivation before, and I, I've spoken to a lot of researchers who look into what it means for shift workers, which is particularly prevalent prevalent in FIFO and mining. And overall, sleep deprivation can be an extremely impairing oh, yeah. condition. <laughs> we are not, as I understand it, able to do any testing for that. But is it not uh, even a bigger problem than, say, drug and alcohol? Yeah, it's a huge problem um, and it can be um, at least as impairing, if not more, than having alcohol or drugs on board. Um, so it is really important that um, these kind of policies are impairment-focused policies. They're not just drug testing policies and they take into account a whole range of mm. um, other impairments that could possibly happen. And you can't test for those. So um, it has to be... A, a policy that includes education for people and an, a, a flexible kind of sick leave system so that they can say, I'm really not feeling on my game today. I shouldn't be operating this machinery. I know myself when I'm sleep deprived and, you know, I've I have a daughter who's been a, just the worst sleeper her entire life. And there have been yeah. days where I'm like, I should not be driving this car because I know mm. that I just haven't slept and haven't slept properly, you know, sometimes for days on end. And you know how that makes you feel. There's quite a few texts along these lines. Nicole Lee is with you, adjunct professor, professor at the National Drug and Research Institute. It says, I used to run a resort which conducted drug and alcohol testing. I've also used cannabis overnight for anxiety for decades. I would have never considered using it before work, but was never sure how long it would stay in my system. Lucky for me, I was the one who received the testing list daily so I could see if my name was on the list. Due to not knowing if I would still test positive in the morning and fortunately for being in senior management, I would say I had meetings all morning and would come after the testing was done. I was lucky enough to have that luxury, but I always felt stressed and I felt guilty. And that's from Anonymous. And there's quite a few texts along that line, Nicole, where people, I guess, have used drugs and nobody knows and have used it for sometimes decades of a night. How do you feel about those comments and whether or not that's okay if it's impairing people at work and whether or not they maybe do need some form of intervention and help, even though they feel like they don't? Well, I, I think this is one of the problems we're focusing on testing is um, there's, t there's two things here that, um, you know, 43% of the Australian adult population have tried an illicit drug at some point in their lives and about 10% use fairly regularly. Um, and most of those, by far the majority, 80-90% of those do not have problems with them. They use occasionally and usually they use for a short period in their lives. So if we're, um, you know, subjecting people to testing because they've used a bit of cannabis on the weekend, um, it could stay, as one of your callers said, it could stay in the system for um, sometimes months, depending on how frequently you use, um, but they're not impaired anymore. Mm. Um, so the impairment's only a few hours usually, and by the time you get to work, um, you're fine to work, even though you might test positive. The other thing is that one of the problems that's going to come up is that now you can get cannabis as a medicine and yes. soon you'll be able to get MDMA and psilocybin mm -hmm. as a medicine. And what happens um, with people who have legitimate reasons for using currently illicit drugs that are being tested for, um, because they will probably test positive for those mm -hmm. even though it, it has an illegitimate use for them. 
Nicole, thank you very much. Some incredible insights there. Nicole's adjunct professor at the National Drug Research Institute. Uh, on the line, we've got David who's driving at the moment. David, what did you want to talk about this morning? Uh, drugs, in, drugs in manufacturing. Um, for larger manufacturing, I suppose, there's probably some lessons from there. And I'll just go through some of the things that have been mentioned earlier, like um, I've seen the union really involved and they really have to be involved in the policy and the process and the experience I have is they're absolutely in favour of it because of the safety of themselves. Again, you're in a manufacturing environment um, and, and it's definitely random. Like, it's office people as well because, mm. hey, they got to cross the road, they got to interact in, in the factory, so absolutely. Um, if it's script-based, then we do ask the employees or we were asking employees to at least declare that. We have a discussion with them, make sure that it's safe for them to use the equipment. As far as testing goes, um, in uh, certain cases, the test was sent off elsewhere um, to be sure that, you know, it was an accurate reading, uh, so it wasn't a false positive. And we wouldn't send people home, we would assist them home. We th- that's where the duty of care comes into it, yeah. in that, uh, hey, if they're not capable of um, operating the That's exactly right. Really you just can't send them home. And is that duty of care? David, thank you. If we're quick, let's squeeze in John in Maryborough. John, you're an employee. Is there a duty of care? Do you think an employer, apologies, is there a duty of care? Uh, hello and good morning. Uh, I'm an, I was an employer up until some recent years. But I think the basis upon which I always worked with our employees was to have a common understanding that each of the two parties has a duty of care. The employee has a duty of care to present in a condition adequate and conditional upon them being able to perform the duties that Mm. they're required to undertake. And an employer has a duty of care to other employees within the workplace to ensure that no damage... Absolutely, and it's that next step that has rung through today. Nick, I don't think there's uh, an area that hasn't been discussed. This just simply says hospitality would be shut down. A few people suggesting a couple of industries that may not go forward. Paul says if it's not about impairment, and we have discussed that a bit about whether you are impaired just because you are failing a drug and alcohol test. Paul says if it's not about impairment, then it is a massive overreach of power by the employer. I'm a nurse, says this. If I didn't take my prescribed drugs to help me sleep after night shift, I'd be much more impaired than if I didn't sleep. And another says, oh, my God, I never thought of this. Would my ADHD medication mean that I would actually fail a police traffic drug test as well. This is such a great topic and has opened up my mind to all sorts of new thoughts. That's from Martin as well. As we said right at the very beginning, we did invite the CSIRO to be a part of today's program. This is something that they are considering and Mm -hmm. by reading through the statement, it seems like they're a fair way through that process, Nick. It's sort of just about dotting the I's potentially and crossing the T's to have randomised drug and alcohol testing in their workplace. 5,000 employees and it turns out there's a lot of other workplaces that are already doing it. A lot of workplaces already doing it. And just quickly, don't forget, CSIRO, not just employees, visitors to their workplaces would be up for random drug and alcohol testing as well. And contractors too. Mm-hmm. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.